Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 13 to 14 and in the previous episode we read chapters 11 to 12 and we started to see a bit more of interaction between Jason and Piper as their relationship continued to develop and we started to see how exactly were Piper's feelings towards Jason and Jason's feelings towards Piper and we feel and I think the bond between them has definitely grew a bit more ever since the last episode and i think that you know with jason losing his memory and everything that kind of hindered their relationship for quite a quite a while because you know jason for some time just didn't know who piper was and after some time after he finally regained his memories he's now you know beginning to remember piper and is starting to rekindle that bond that he once had with her so now, uh, with that aside, we are now going to read from another, uh, from a new perspective, this time for Percy, and we'll see how this goes. So, chapter 13, Percy. Forget the chicken nugget smokescreen. Percy wanted Leo to invent an anti-dream hat. That night, he had horrible nightmares. First, he dreamed he was back in Alaska on the quest for the Legion's Eagle. He was hiking along a mountain road, but as soon as he stepped off the shoulder, he was swallowed by the bog, muskeg. Hazel had called it. He found himself choking in mud, unable to move or see or breathe. For the first time in his life, he understood what it was like to drown. It's just a dream, he told himself. I'll wake up. But that didn't make it any less terrifying. Percy had never been scared of water. It was his father's element, but since the muskeg experience, he developed a fear of suffocation. He could never admit this to anyone, but it had even made him nervous about going in the water. He knew that was silly. He couldn't drown, but he also suspected that if he didn't control the fear, it might start controlling him. He thought about his friend Talia, who was scared of heights even though she was the daughter of the sky god. Her brother Jason could fly by summoning the winds. Talia couldn't, maybe because she was too afraid to try. If Percy started to believe he could drown, the muskeg pressed against his chest. His lungs wanted to burst. Stop panicking, he told himself. This isn't real. Just when he couldn't hold his breath any longer, the dream changed. He stood in a vast, gloomy space like an underground parking garage. Rows of stone pillars marched off in every direction, holding up the ceiling about 20 feet above. Freezing, a freestanding braziers cast a dim red glow over the floor. Percy couldn't see very far in the shadows, but hanging from the ceiling were pulley systems, sandbags, and rows of dark the af- uh, uh, theater lights. Piled around the chamber, wooden crates were labeled props, weapons, and costumes. One read, assorted rocket launchers. Percy heard machinery creaking in the darkness, huge gears turning, and water rushing through pipes. Then... He saw the giant, or at least Percy guessed that he was a giant. He was about 12 feet tall, a respectable height for a cyclops, but only half as tall as other giants Percy had dealt with. He also looked more mm, human than a typical giant, without the dragon-like legs of his larger kin. Nevertheless, his long purple hair was braided in a ponytail of dreadlocks, woven with gold and silver coins, which struck Percy as a giantish hairstyle. He had a ten-foot spear strapped to his back, a giantish weapon. He wore the largest black turtleneck her Percy had ever seen. Black pants and black leather shoes with points so long and curly 
They might have been just her slippers. He paced back and forth in, a raised, in front of a raised platform, examining a bronze jar about the size of Percy. No, 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 the giant muttered to himself. Where's the splash? Where's the value? He yelled into the darkness. Otis! Percy heard another something shuffling in the distance. Another giant appeared out of the gloom. He wore exactly the same black outfit, right down to the curly shoes. The only difference between the two giants was that the second one's hair was green rather than purple. The first giant cursed. Otis, why do you do this to me every day? I told you I was wearing the black turtleneck today. You could wear anything but the black turtleneck. Otis blinked as if he'd just woken up. I thought you were wearing the yellow toga today. That was yesterday, when you showed up in the yellow toga. Oh, right. Sorry, Effie. His brother snarled. They had to be twins, because their faces were identically ugly. Don't call me Effie, Effie demanded. Call me Ephialtis. That's my name. Or you can use my stage name, the Big F. Otis grimaced. I'm still not sure about that stage name. Nonsense. It's perfect. Now how are the preparations coming along? Fine. Otis didn't sound very enthusiastic. The man-eating tigers, the spinning blades, but I still think a few, a few ballerinas would be nice. No ballerinas, Ephialta snapped. And this thing, he waved at the bronze jar in disgust. What does it do? It's not exciting. But that's the whole point of the show. He dies unless the others rescue him, and if they arrive on schedule... Oh, they better, Ephialtus said. July 1st, the Kalins of July, sacred to Juno. That's when Mother wants to destroy the stupid de- demigods and really rub it in Juno's face. Besides, I'm not paying overtime for those gladiator ghosts. Well, then they all die, Otis said, and we start the destruction of Rome, just like Mother wants. It'll be perfect. The crowd will love it. Roman ghosts adore this sort of thing. Ephialtus looked unconvinced. But the jar just stands there. Couldn't we suspend it above a fire or dissolve it in a pool of acid or something? We need him alive for a few more days, Otis reminded his brother. Otherwise, the seven won't take the bait and rush to save him. Hmm, I suppose. I'd still like a little more screaming. The slow death is boring. Ah, well, what about our talented friend? Is she ready to receive her visitor? Otis made a sour face. I really don't like talking to her. She makes me nervous. But is she ready? Yes, Otis said reluctantly. She's been ready for centuries. No one will be removing that statue. Excellent. Ephialtus rubbed his hands together in anticipation. This is our big chance, brother. That's what you said about our last stunt, Otis mumbled. I was hanging in that block of ice suspended over the river Leith for six months, and we didn't even get any media attention. This is different, Ephialtus insisted. We will set a new standard for entertainment. If Mother is pleased, we can write our own ticket to fame and fortune. If you say so, Otis sighed. Though, I still think those ballerina costumes from Swan Lake would look lovely. No! Ballet. Sorry. Come, Ephialtus said. Let's examine the tigers. I want to be sure they are hungry. 
The giants lumbered off into the gloom, and Percy turned toward the jar. I need to see inside, he thought. He willed his dream forward, right to the surface of the jar. Then he passed through. The air in the jar smelled of stale breath and tarnished metal. The only light came from the dim purple glow of a dark sword, its Stygian iron blade set against one side of the container. Huddled next to it was a dejected-looking boy in tattered jeans, a black shirt, and an old aviator jacket. On his right hand, a silver skull ring glittered. Nico, Percy called, but the son of Hades couldn't hear him. The container was completely sealed. The air was turning poisonous. Nico's eyes were closed, his breathing shallow. He appeared to be meditating. His face was pale and thinner than Percy remembered. On the inner wall of the jar, it looked as though Nico had scratched three hash marks with his sword. Maybe it had been three days that he'd been imprisoned? It didn't seem impossible that he could have survived so long without suffocating. Even in a dream, Percy was already starting to feel panicky, struggling to get enough oxygen. Then he noticed something between Nico's feet. A small collection of glistening objects no bigger than baby teeth. Seeds, Percy realized. Pomegranate seeds. Three had been eaten and spit out. Five were still encased in dark red pulp. Nico, Percy said, where is this place? We'll save you. The image faded, and a girl's voice whispered, Percy. At first, Percy thought he was still asleep. When he lost his memory, he'd spent weeks dreaming about Annabeth, the only person he remembered from his past. As his eyes opened and his vision cleared, he realized she was really there. She was standing by his berth, smiling down at him. Her blonde hair fell across her shoulders. Her storm-gray eyes were bright with amusement. He remembered his first day at Camp Half-Blood five years ago when he'd woken from a daze and found Annabeth standing over him. She had said, You drool when you sleep. She was sentimental that way. What's going on? He asked. Are we there? No, she said, her voice slow. It's the middle of the night. You mean... Percy's heart started to race. He realized he was in his pajamas, in bed. He probably had been drooling or at least making weird noises as he dreamed. No doubt he had a several case of pillow hair and his breath didn't smell great. You sneaked into my cabin? Annabeth rolled her eyes. Percy, you'll be 17 in two months. You can't seriously be worried about getting in trouble with Coach Hedge. Uh, have you seen his baseball bat? Besides, seaweed brain, I just thought we could take a walk. We haven't had any time to be together alone. I want to show you something. My favorite place aboard the ship. Percy's pulse was still in overdrive, but it wasn't from fear of getting into trouble. Can I, you know, brush my teeth first? You'd better, Annabeth said, because I'm not kissing you until you do, and brush your hair while you're at it. For a trireme, the ship was huge, but it still felt cozy to Percy, like his dorm building back at Yancey Academy or any other boarding school he'd gotten kicked out of. Annabeth and he crept downstairs to the second deck, which Percy hadn't explored except for sickbay. She led him past the engine room, which looked like a very dangerous mechanized jungle gym with pipes and pistons and tubes jutting from a central bronze sphere. Cables resembling giant metal noodles snaked across the floor and ran up the walls. How does that thing even work? Percy asked. No idea, Annabeth said, and I'm the only one besides Leah who can operate it. That's reassuring. 
It should be fine. It's only threatened to blow up once. You're kidding. I hope. She smiled. Come on. They worked their way past the supply rooms and the armory. Toward the stern of the ship, they reached a set of wooden double doors that opened into a large stable. The room smelled of fresh hay and wool blankets. Lining the left wall were three empty horses' stalls, like the ones they used for Pegasi back at camp. The right wall had two empty big cages, big enough for large zoo animals. In the center of the floor was a 20-foot square see-through panel. Far below, the night, light, the night landscape whisked by. Miles of dark countryside crisscrossed with illuminated highways, like the strands of a web. A glass-bottom boat? Percy asked. Annabeth grabbed a blanket from the nearest stable gate and spread it across part of the glass floor. Sit with me. They relaxed on the blanket as if they were having a picnic and watched the world go by below. Leo built the stable so Pegasi could come and go easily, Annabeth said. Only he didn't realize that Pegasi preferred to roam free, so the stables are always empty. Percy wondered where Blackjack was, roaming in the sky somewhere, hopefully following their progress. Percy's head still throbbed from getting whopped by Blackjack's hoof, but he didn't hold that against the horse. What do you mean, come and go easily? He asked. Wouldn't a Pegasus have to make it down two flights of stairs? Annabeth wrapped her knuckles on the glass. These are bay doors, like on a bomber. Percy gulped. You mean we're sitting on doors? What if they opened? I suppose we'd fall to our deaths, but they won't open. Most likely. Great. Annabeth laughed. You know why I like it here? It's not just the view. What does this place remind you of? Percy looked around. The cages and stables, the celestial bronze lamp hanging from the beam, the smell of hay, and of course, Annabeth sitting close to him, her face ghostly and beautiful in the soft amber light. That zoo truck, Percy decided, the one we took to Las Vegas. Her smile told him he'd gotten the answer right. That was so long ago, Percy said. We were in bad shape, struggling to get across the country to find that stupid lightning boat, bolt trapped in a truck with a bunch of mistreated animals. How can you be nostalgic for that? Because, seaweed brain, it's the first time we really talked. You and me. I told you about my family, and she took out our camp necklace, strung with her dad's college ring and a colorful clay bead for each year at Camp Half-Blood. Now there was something else on the leather cord. A red coral pendant Percy had given her when they had started dating. He'd brought it from his father's palace at the bottom of the sea. And, Annabeth continued, It reminds me how long we've known each other. We were twelve, Percy. Can you believe that? No, he admitted. So, you knew you liked me from that moment? She smirked. I hated you at first. You annoyed me. Then I tolerated you for a few years. Then... Okay, fine. She leaned over and kissed him. A good, proper kiss, without anyone watching. No Romans anywhere, no screaming satyr chaperones. She pulled away. I missed you, Percy. Percy wanted to tell her the same thing, but it seemed too small a comment. While he had been on the Roman side, he kept himself alive almost solely by thinking of Annabeth. I missed you didn't really cover that. He remembered early in the night, when Piper had forced the Eidolon to leave his mind. Percy had been aware of its presence until she had used her charm speak. After the Eidolon was gone, he felt as if a hot spike had been removed from his forehead. He hadn't realized how much pain he had been in 
until his spirit left. Then his thoughts became clear. His soul settled comfortably back into his body. Sitting here with Annabeth made him feel the same way. The past few months could have been one of his strange dreams. The events at Camp Jupiter seemed as fuzzy and unreal as that fight with Jason when they both had been controlled by the Eidolons. Yet he didn't regret the time he'd spent at Camp Jupiter. Yet it opened his eyes in a lot of ways. Annabeth, he said hesitantly, in New Rome, demigods can live their whole lives in peace. Her expression turned guarded. Raina explained it to me. But Percy, you belong at Camp Half-Blood. That other life, I know, Percy said. But while I was there, I saw so many demigods living without fear. Kids going to college, couples getting married and raising families. There's nothing like that at Camp Half-Blood. I kept thinking about you and me, and maybe someday when this war with the giants is over. It was hard to tell in the golden light, but he thought Annabeth was blushing. Oh, she said. Percy was afraid he'd said too much. Maybe he'd scared her with his big dreams of the future. She was usually the one with the plans. Percy cursed himself silently. As long as he'd known Annabeth, he still felt like he understood so little about her. Even after they'd been dating several months, their relationship had always felt new and delicate, like a glass sculpture. He was terrified of doing something wrong and breaking it. I'm sorry, he said. I just, I had to think of that to keep going, to give me hope. Forget I mentioned, no, she said. No, Percy. God, that's so sweet. It's just, we may have burned that bridge. If we can't repair things with the Romans... Well, the two sets of demigods have never gotten along. That's why the gods kept us separate. I don't know if we could ever belong there. Percy didn't want to argue, but he couldn't let go of the hope. It felt important, not just for Annabeth and him, but for all the demigods. It had to be possible to belong in two different worlds at once. After all, that's what being a demigod was all about. Not quite belonging in the mortal world or on Mount Olympus, but trying to make peace with both sides of their nature. Unfortunately, that got him thinking about the gods, the war they were facing, and his dream about the twins, Ephialtus and Otis. I was having a nightmare when you woke me up, he admitted. He told Annabeth what he'd seen. Even the most troubling parts didn't seem to surprise her. She shook her head sadly when he described Nico's imprisonment in the bronze jar. She got an angry glint in her eyes when he told her about the giants planning some sort of Rome-destroying extravaganza. That would include their painful debts as the opening event. Nico's the bait, she murmured. Gaia's forces must have captured him somehow, but we don't know how exactly where they're holding him. Somewhere in Rome, Percy said. Somewhere underground. They made it sound like Nico has a few, still has a few days to live, but I don't see how he could hold out so long with no oxygen. Five more days, according to Nemesis, Annabeth said. The Kalins of J- July. At least, the deadline makes sense now. What's a Kalins? Ambit smirked, like she was pleased they were back in their old familiar pattern. pattern. Percy being ignorant, or is she herself explaining stuff? It's just the Roman term for the first of the month. That's where we get the, first, the word calendar. But how can Nico survive that long? We should talk to Hazel. Now? She hesitated. No, it can wait until morning. I, didn't, I don't want to hit her with this news in the middle of the night. The giants mentioned a statue, Percy recalled, and something about a talented friend who was guarding it. 
Whoever this friend was, she scared Otis. Anyone who can scare a giant? Ambeth gazed down at his highway, sneaking through dark hills. Percy, have you seen Poseidon lately? Or had any kind of sign from him? He shook his head. Not since... Wow, I, I guess I haven't thought about it. Not since the end of the Titan War. I saw him at Camp Half-Blood, but that was last August. A sense of dread settled over him. Why, have you seen Athena? She didn't meet his eyes. A few weeks ago, she admitted, it, it wasn't good. She didn't seem like herself. Maybe it's the Greek-Roman schizophrenia that Nemesis described. I'm not sure. She said some hurtful things. She said I'd failed her. Failed her? Percy wasn't sure he'd heard her right. Annabeth was the perfect demigod child. She was everything a daughter of Athena should be. How could you ever... I don't know, she said miserably. On top of that, I've been having nightmares of my own. They don't make as much sense as yours. Percy waited, but Annabeth didn't want to share any more details. He wanted to make her feel better and tell her it would be okay, but he knew he couldn't. He wanted to fix everything for both of them so they could have a happy ending. After all these years, even the cruelest demi uh, even, even the cruelest gods would have to admit they deserved it. But he had a gut feeling that there was nothing he could do to help Annabeth this time, other than simply be there. Wisdom's daughter walks alone. He felt as trapped and helpless as he as when he'd sunk into the muskeg. Annabeth managed a faint smile. Some romantic evening, huh? No more bad things until the morning. She kissed him again. We'll figure everything out. I've got you back. For now, that's all that matters. Right, Percy said. No more talking about Gaia. No more talk about Gaia rising. Nico being held hostage, the world ending, the giants. Shut up, seaweed brain, she ordered. Just hold me for a while. They sat together cuddling, enjoying each other's warmth. Before Percy knew it, the drone of the ship's engine, the dim light, and the comfortable feeling of being with Annabeth made his eyes heavy, and he drifted to sleep. When he woke up, the daylight, the daylight was coming through the glass floor, and a boy's voice said, Oh, you are in so much trouble. And that's the end of chapter 13. Well, that was certainly a very fascinating chapter. I think these, this chapter and the last chapter we read... They're really going into the relation specifics between um, Jason and Piper and Percy and, ha and Annabeth, which I think is, is very important to show throughout the chapter because obviously these two couples are dating each other. And it's important to see how exactly that relationship is faring out and how it's turning out. And I think chapters like this are able to give us an idea of that and see what exactly is happening with between, you know, specific people and specific groups and specific relationships and specific couples so i think that was something that was very important for us to learn about or at least understand about what in regards to the context of this book and just overall understanding this book for future uses as well but yeah this was a great chapter and after the break or the non-existent ads uh, we will continue to finish the rest of the episode with chapter 14. So, see you then. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 14, Percy. Percy had seen Frank surrounded by cannibal ogres, facing down an unkillable giant, 
and even unleashing Thanatos, the god of death. But he'd never seen Frank look as terrified as he did now, finding the two of them passed out in the stables. What? Percy rubbed, in, uh, rubbed his eyes. Oh, we just fell asleep. Frank swallowed. He was dressed in running shoes, dark cargo pants, and a Vancouver Winter Olympics t-shirt with his Roman centurion badge pinned to the neck, which seemed either sad or hopeful to Percy now that they were renegades. Frank averted his eyes as if the sight of them together might burn him. Everyone thinks you've been kidnapped, he said. We've been scouring the ship. When Coach Hedge finds out, oh God, you've been here all night? Frank! Annabeth's ears were as red as strawberries. We just came down here to talk. We, we, we fell asleep. Accidentally. That's it. Kissed a couple of times, Percy said. Annabeth glared at him. Not helping. We'd better... Frank pointed to the stable doors. Uh, we're supposed to meet for breakfast. Would you explain what you did? I mean, didn't do? I mean, I really don't want that fa- I mean, satyr to kill me. Frank ran. When everyone finally gathered in the mess hall, it wasn't quite as bad as Frank had feared. Jason and Piper were mostly relieved. Leo couldn't stop grinning and muttering. Classic, classic, classic. Only Hazel seemed scandalized, maybe because she was from the 1940s. She kept fanning her face and wouldn't meet Percy's eyes. Naturally, Coach Hedge went ballistic, but Percy found it hard to take the satyr seriously since he was barely five feet tall. Never in my life, Coach bellowed, waving his bat and knocking over a plate of apples. Against the rules. Irresponsible. Coach, Ambit said, it was an accident. We were talking and we fell asleep. Besides, Percy said, you're starting to sound like Terminus. Is that an insult? A hedge narrowed his eyes. Is that an insult, Jackson? Because I'll... I'll Terminus you, buddy. Percy tried not to laugh. It won't happen again, Coach. I promise. Now, don't we have other things to discuss? Hedge fumed. Fine, but I'm watching you, Jackson. And you, Annabeth Chase. I thought you had more sense. Jason cleared his throat. So, grab some food, everybody. Let's get started. The meeting was like a war council with donuts. Then again, uh... At Camp Half-Blood. Back at Camp Half-Blood, they used to have their most serious de- decisions around the ping-pong table in the rec room with crackers and cheese whiz. So, Percy felt right at home. He told them about his dream. The twin giants planning a reception for them in an underground parking lot with rocket launchers. Nico D'Angelo trapped in a bronze jar, slowly dying from asphyxiation, with pomegranate seeds at his feet. Hazel choked back a sob. Nico. Oh, God. The seeds. You know what they are? Annabeth asked. Hazel nodded. He showed them to me once. They're from her stepmother's garden. Your step... Oh, Percy said. You mean Persephone. Percy had met the wife of Hades once. She hadn't been exactly warm and sunny. He had been to her underworld garden, a creepy place full of crystal trees and flowers that bloomed blood red and ghost white. The seeds are our last resort food, Hazel said. Percy could tell she was nervous because all the silverware on the table was starting to move toward her. Only children of Hades can eat them. Nico always kept some in case he got stuck somewhere, but if he's really imprisoned, 
The giants are trying to lure us, Hannibal said. They're assuming we'll try and rescue him. Well, they're right. Hazel looked around the table, her confidence apparently crumbling. Won't we? Yes, Coach Hedge yelled with a mouthful of napkins. It'll involve fighting, right? Hazel, of course we'll help him, Frank said. But how long do we have before... I mean, how long can Nico hold out? One seat a day, Hazel said miserably. That's if he puts himself in a death trance. A death trance? And a scout. That doesn't sound fun. It keeps him from consuming all his hair. All his air, Hazel said. Like hibernation or a coma. One seed consists of sustain him one day. Barely. And he has five seeds left, Percy said. That's five days, including today. The giants must have planted that way, so we'd have to arrive by July 1st. Assuming Nico is hidden somewhere in Rome. That's so much time, Piper summed up. She put her hand on Hazel's shoulder. We'll find him. At least we know what the lines of the prophecy mean now. Twins snuff out the angel's breath, who holds the key to endless death. Your brother's last name, D'Angelo. Angelo is Italian for angel. Oh, gods. Hazel muttered. Nico. Percy stared at his jelly donut. He had a rocky history with Nico D'Angelo. The guy had once tricked him into visiting Hades' palace, and Percy had ended up in a cell. But most of the time, Nico sided with the good guys. He certainly didn't deserve slow suffocation in a bronze jar, and Percy couldn't stand seeing Hazel in pain. We'll, re- we'll rescue him, he promised her. We have to. The prophecy says he holds the key to endless death. That's right, Piper said encouragingly. Hazel, your brother went searching for the doors of death in the underworld, right? He must have found them. He can tell us where the doors are, Percy said, and how to close them. Hazel took a deep breath. (sighs) Yes. Good. Uh, Leo shifted in his chair. One thing. The giants are expecting us to do this, right? So we're walking into a trap? Hazel looked at Leo like he'd made a rude gesture. We have no choice. Don't get me wrong, Hazel. It's just that your brother, Nico... He knew about both camps, right? Well, yes, Hazel said. He's been going back and forth, Leo said, and he didn't tell either side. Jason sat forward, his expression grim. You're wondering if we can trust the guy. So am I. Hazel shot to her feet. I don't believe this. He's my brother. He brought me back from the underworld and you don't want to help him? Frank put his hand on her shoulder. Nobody's saying that. He glared at Leo. Nobody had better be saying that. Leo blinked. Look, guys, all I mean is... Hazel, Jason said. Leo is raising a fair point. I remember Nico from Camp Jupiter. Now I find out he also visited Camp Half-Blood. That does strike me as well. A little shady. Do we really... Do we really know where his loyalties lie? We just have to be careful. Hazel's arms shook. A silver platter zoomed toward her and hit the wall to her left, splattering scrambled eggs. You, the great Jason Grace, the praetor I looked up to. You were supposed to be so fair, such a good leader, and now you... Hazel stomped her foot and stormed out of the mess hall. Hazel! Leo called after. Jeez, I should... You've done enough, Frank growled. He got up to follow her, but Piper gestured for him to wait. 
Give her time, Piper advised. Then she frowned at Leo and Jason. You guys, that was pretty cold. Jason looked shocked. Cold? I'm just being cautious. Her brother is dying, Piper said. I'll go talk to her, Frank insisted. No, Piper said. Let her cool down first. Trust me on this. I'll go check on her in a few minutes. But Frank coughed like an irritated bear. Fine, await. From up above came a whirring sound like a large drone. That's Festus, Leo said. I've got him on autopilot, but we must be nearing Atlanta. I'll have to get up there, assuming we know where to land. Everyone turned to Percy. Jason raised an eyebrow. Your Captain C. Walter is saltwater. Any ideas from the expert? Was that resentment in his voice? Percy wondered if Jason was secretly miffed about the duel in Kansas. Jason had joked about it, but Percy figured they both had harbored a little grudge. You couldn't put two demigods in a fight and not have them wonder who was stronger. I'm not sure, he admitted. Somewhere central, high up, so we can get a good view of the city. Maybe a park with some woods. We don't want to land a warship in the middle of downtown. I doubt even the mist could cover up something that huge. Leo nodded. On it. He raced for the stairs. Frank settled back in his chair uneasily. Percy felt bad for him. On the trip to Alaska, he watched Hazel and Frank grow close. He knew how protective Frank felt towards her. He also noticed the baleful look Frank was giving Leo. He decided it might be a good idea to get Frank off the ship for a while. When we land, I'll scout around in Atlanta, Percy said. Frank, I could use your help. You mean turn into a dragon again? Honestly, Percy, I don't want to spend the whole quest being everyone's flying taxi. No, Percy said. I want you with me because you got the blood of Poseidon. Maybe you can help me figure out where to find salt water. Besides, you're good in a fight. That seemed to make Frank feel a little better. Sure, I guess. Great, Percy said. We should take one more. Annabeth. Oh, no, Coach Edge barked. Young lady, you are grounded. Annabeth stared at him like he was speaking a foreign language. <laughs> Excuse me? You and Jackson are not going anywhere together, Hedge insisted. He glared at Percy, daring him to mouth off. I'll go with Frank and Mr. Sneaky Jackson. The rest of you guard the ship and make sure Annabeth doesn't break any more rules. Wonderful. Percy thought, a boy's day out with Frank and a bloodthirsty satyr to find salt water in a landlocked city. This, he said, is going to be so much fun. Well, that was certainly, well, that's the end of chapter uh, 14. And that was certainly a very, I like to say it had a little bit of humor in it with, you know, Coach Hedge, uh, tra- you know, figuring out about Percy and Annabeth and, you know, falling asleep and not being able to return back to their rooms back on time. But, yeah, this whole, like, fiasco with the whole um, thing between Nico's brother, Nico is kind of, like, could it be possibly, it makes you wonder if it could possibly be one of the breaking points between this group, because it is a group of seven, and obviously people in that group may have some differing opinions, but it it go it really begs to, uh, to the question of whether how far do those differences of opinions like how far will it affect their relationship because we see how mad hazel got upset just because some people didn't trust her brother which you know is fair obviously because they're siblings but it's also you know there are people who side with having suspicions against nico and there's then just siding because it was just blatantly 
you know, cold slash rude to bring it up in front of Hazel, whose brother is Nico. So there's a lot of questions that come into this. And yeah, um, I mean, another question is whose side do you guys think you're on? Do you think that maybe Nico shouldn't have been called out like that in front of Hazel? Or maybe Nico should have been called out like that in front of Hazel for, so that everyone's cautious? But yeah, other than that, next week we'll read chapters 15 and 16 and see how the rest of this adventure goes and how their journey in Atlanta goes. Hopefully they'll be able to go in time and save Nico because as much as, you know, some suspicious things he's done, he's still worthy of being saved because, you know, he, as soon as he became a demigod, it went rough for him, you know, with Bianca and everything. I I still, you know, he's a good person at heart. He, he genuinely I, I believe he genuinely is and he does deserve to be saved so no matter what happens I hope they really are able to save him and don't fall into the trap that the two giants have con- concocted for them but yeah other than that um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and if you guys would like to show some extra support My Patreon link is located in the description of this podcast. So if you'd like to do that, go ahead and visit that, visit my Patreon. Um, But other than that, uh, stay safe and stay out of boredom.